of 2079 had no winners. Those who survived either scuttled to safety underground or were left outside to face radiation and mutagenic viruses. Over 60 years have passed, and now the two armies wish to own the surface. So, there is war. It is a war for land, for oil, for humanity, and it is focus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DOS Game Club podcast. This is episode 69, nice, uh, covering the May 2022 game uh, or well, it's not. It's not uh, the May 2022 <laughs> it's game. It's a bit at all. older. The game. It's the game we played in May 2022, but it's actually from 1997. Uh, it's KKND, Crush, Kill and Destroy, by Beam Software, published by Melbourne House. So yeah, that's the game. Uh, I'm Martijn, Tyn on the forums, and of course, I'm not going to talk about this game all by myself. Uh, first of all, joining as ever is our trusty co-host Florian. Hello. Hey, welcome to another one. Yep, looking forward. We're running a little bit late, but <laughs> we'll, we're, we're trying to hang in there, you know, doing our best. It's, it's only 10 days after we should have released this episode, so mm -hmm. <laughs> we're, we're still on time, still on time. Mm, no, we're not, but well, we'll, we'll make up for it. I don't know. I don't know how, but we'll try. Anyway, welcome. Uh, also joining from Australia, which is very fitting actually for this game, it's Bjorn or Tiger Quoll on the forums. Hello. Hey. I think it's great that, that we've got an Australian on for this one. Yeah, I was. I, 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 it had occurred to me to put my hand up to uh, to do this for a, a while ago, um, and I sort of never got around to it. And there was, um, and you know, I wanted to do the uh, the voicemail for the. Uh, Mac Warrior, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's all right. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, hmm. yeah, no, because I actually come from not just Australia, but also I grew up very close to where this game was made. I went to uni, university in the same city as well, Melbourne. So yeah, kind of know the area pretty well. Wow. Maybe you've even met some of the people who worked on it then. <laughs> Conceivably, possibly, yeah. <laughs> Unknowingly. Yeah, well, I reckon the cutscenes remind me a lot of sort of some of the cheaper TV that, that was played in the 90s here. So it, they may be some of the extras or the actors from some of the shows I watched as a kid. So, Hmm, very possible, yeah. Well, that's fun. Um, and I think you also, during the month that we covered this game, you played through the entire campaign, didn't you? I played through the whole um, Evolves campaign and I got through as many missions of the survivors as I could. Um, so it didn't quite get through the whole game, but... Uh, but still, that's still... Uh, so well enough to, to talk about this game. Yes. Uh, 
at length. <laughs> no, I've never heard of this game before. What are we talking about? <laughs> what is this? KK and DOS games? What is it? This is really old. <laughs> no, okay. Well, uh, I don't know. Let's let's jump straight into it then. Let's get into it. Daikono. While the chief uses the little chieftain's room, I must fill you in. Our scouting parties have sighted a symmetric convoy. They're protected, and they're moving along the southwest road, visible on your display now. is secure, Commander, but there's trouble elsewhere from a scout you may already have met. Take a look. Four hours and I've mapped the entire northwest quadrant. I'm just going to take my ATV around to the south. Uh... Oh no. I think I've done it again. We believe he's alive. His location is vague. We couldn't triangulate, but we quadrilateralized pentagonally. He's somewhere around the area on your display. Fight your desire to leave him where he is and bring him home alive. Right. So, uh, first things first, who suggested this game? Yeah, it says here... Das, in, yeah, go das ahead. Game Club member Toasty did. He's been on many episodes before. Mm -hmm. And actually, he said he wanted to play the game, but he didn't have time. So, he's yeah. been very busy lately with work. So, that's a bit sad. That is sad. He's a, he's a very old member. I think he's one of the first members, to be honest. I th wasn't he on... Grand Prix Circuit, I think, right? Episode 2? I think he was on the Doom episode, like the very first one. Even that, well... So... Come back, Toasty. Yeah! <laughs> he's, he was he was uh, an early club member, and I, I don't think he picked the game because he remembered it fondly. I think... He was just interested in the game and wanted to check it out. So yeah, I've just checked, by the way, he was the only one who was with us on the Doom episode. So. Exactly. So as an early member. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's played it as a as a child or anything. I just... No, he, he said repeatedly that he played the um, the second game, um, what's called KKND Crossfire, which is the successor. Ah, I played the sequel and wanted to check out the original. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. No. Didn't happen, sadly. Sadly, but, no. but... That's how it happened, how it goes. That's that's life. Um, but we are here, <laughs> so that's good. Uh, so l let's do a little round of who played this before. I guess starting with you, Florian. Yeah, I, uh, for once I actually did. Um, huh. We played a couple of rounds of this game on our uh, bi-weekly LAN parties back when I was, I don't know, 13, 14. So, yeah, didn't play lots of it, but I've seen it when, around the time it came out. So, yeah. Awesome. Not, not many memories, to be honest, but yeah. I guess if you played this at LAN parties, then you mostly focused on the multiplayer, I guess? Yeah, I've never seen the um, single-player campaigns before. <laughs> yeah. And 
I, I am guessing you didn't actually own the game or like bought it. No, <laughs> I, I had it. I had it. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, that's how this, these things go. So yeah, as a, as a multiplayer game, well, we didn't get to try. We did try, but we didn't get it running, sadly. Yeah, it's, yeah it was a bit problematic. The, the, the game features all the classic connection options like uh, serial modem and IPX networking and all that stuff. Yeah. And we've had good luck with this in the past, connecting IPX over t- TCP IP with DOSBox. But mm-hmm. I don't know, it didn't work out. It, the game just froze when you click join, so eh, I don't know. Well, I, I never saw any of the games that you created. So. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you saw you saw mine and, and it crashed. So, but whatever happened there, it just didn't work. Which is the classic LAN party experience. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great, right? How how perfectly the um, DOS gaming experience is transported into the modern age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. But I, I'm guessing you didn't play it after, like in between then and now. No, not 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 at all. I mean, I've. I've I've often wanted to replay it because I thought, yeah, you know, I've I've played this game as a kid and let's or as, as a teenager, let's let's revisit it. So I, I very much rooted for us playing it again, mm-hmm. but I haven't played it between then and now. Right, all right, but you played it now, yeah. And I guess I don't know. Checked out a few levels. What side did you play? I played through I think three quarters or so of the um, survivors campaign. Hmm. All the survived. What's the name? Survivors. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get into the the sides, but yeah, all right, cool. Um, so uh, Bjorn, yes. what's your history with this game? Then you would think I had played it, given it's from Melbourne and I'm from mm-hmm. the area, but no, and I don't think I've even heard of it before we did it in the <laughs> club. So I don't know. Australia's obviously uh, let me down on that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, everyone obviously played Command and Conquer, which this game is very similar to. But mm. no, I don't think I'd ever seen uh, seen or heard of this game before the club did it. Oh wow! You would think um, like it was advertised all over the place in Australia. You would think so. Yes, um, maybe the logo looks sort of familiar. I might have might have just seen it in the background somewhere. But yeah, it was not definitely wasn't like a major yeah part of you know everyday <laughs> everyday life or anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe they focused their marketing efforts mostly on the international markets, maybe thinking Australia's, you know, they've got it in the bag anyway. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. So so you played it for the first time now then? Yeah, yeah, basically. Yep. Did you did you uh, just get it off GOG or something? Or Yeah, yeah, so I got it off GOG. Um and what I do, same thing what I do with a lot of games. If I got him off GOG, I then also go and find the uh, ISO image and then burn it and then play it on one of my actual old vintage machines, which nice. I think would count as legal, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's not yeah, the sure. actual copy I took from GOG, but uh, I, I own it, so I feel like that is okay. <laughs> At least it's not immoral. I, I think that's 100% legal. I mean, you bought, you literally bought it, so yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. So what, what machine did you play it on now? Uh, I played it on a Pentium 1. Um, actually, the same one I played the Carmageddon <laughs> episode on, uh, when we did the Carmageddon episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Pentium 1, uh, what is it, 166, I think? Yeah, was, mm. yeah. Era appropriate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's fine. Worked quite well on that one. Also with a CRT monitor, I think? Yep, yep. Got the CRT monitor as well with... Uh, 
weird flickery issues just as uh, <laughs> just as they're intended to have. <laughs> sort of a funny, slightly distorted picture that uh, works on some screens and not on others. So very authentic experience. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I, I think on a, I have not actually seen this game on a CRT monitor, but I imagine it looks pretty good given the relatively high resolution the game runs at. It's a SVGA game, so... Yeah, I thought it looked quite good, actually, yeah. Yeah. Also the the video. Well, we'll talk about the stuff, but yeah. yeah, I just think this game would work pretty well with the slightly smudged out pixels of a CRT. Mm, yeah. I played a few levels on DOSBox as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I prefer CRT. Um, yeah. yeah often, I guess people were making the artworks on CRTs, so they made what looks good on that. And yeah. Then, yeah. You'd expect it to look better. I think it looks a bit rough. On an on a modern flat screen, so mm. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's the only picture I know <laughs> because uh, I have also not played this game back in the day. I was aware of it. Um, I mean, I had heard it. I've even seen it in stores, like the boxes on shelves, and I remember it being discussed in magazines and maybe even saw advertisements and stuff for it. So yeah, it seems they were pushing this game. That was my uh, experience anyway but well the truth is that even though I was a big RTS fan this game is a real-time strategy game I don't know if you've mentioned that but yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk about what this game is in a bit but it's a real-time strategy game very much in the style of Command and Conquer and I had played Command and Conquer so you know I had played June 2 I had played uh both the Warcraft games, Command and Conquer, Red Alert. So even though there was a big boom of RTS games in the second half of the 90s, I had kind of lost interest because I had played all of these games and it just seemed like more of the same to me. So, you know, I have seen the boxes of Zed and of KKND and of later stuff like... uh uh, well, there's more StarCraft, of course, but I never got into any of those because after Red Alert, I, I don't know, I, I kind of felt I had seen it all and kind of lost interest. That makes it interesting to look at it now because I'm obviously over that feeling of, uh, you know, seeing it all. <laughs> I did have fun with this game now, although it is very similar to Command & Conquer, so... <laughs> I guess that if, if you want to describe this game real quick, that is what you'd say, right? Yeah, it's Command and Conquer with a different theme. Yeah, it's Command and Conquer, but not uh, the GDI versus the Nord. But otherwise, it's Command and Conquer. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's got a fairly interesting setting. It's this uh, post-apocalyptic, futuristic setting. It's... Uh, I saw someone describe it a little bit like Mad Max, which also obviously is Australian. So Also from the same sort of area. Well, the very first film was also filmed in the very close to Melbourne as well. So there's obviously something in the water there. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, what What do have Australians on their mind that they're constantly thinking of apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you have the outback just, just a couple hours drive away, then it's probably just... It, it's, it looks like post-apocalyptic, right? Just about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's, yeah, it's this futuristic setting where 
basically there's been nuclear war. Everyone's dead. Every, everyone's a mutant. It's all a mess. And people go at each other. <laughs> I don't know why exactly. But that being said, I think I think the one difference maybe between Command & Conquer and this is that this game feels more intentionally lighthearted. Yeah. I mean, Command & Conquer ha- has that kind of B a movie feeling to it as well but yeah unintentionally right <laughs> yeah exactly I, I i'm not sure if they were going for that but they're definitely going for it with kknd so yeah I, I think kknd tried to be over the top as much over the top as you can be with a bird's eye view of what's going on yeah and also just genuinely funny like m- way more funny than than the other game i i guess games like warcraft are lighthearted and funny too but Starcraft and Warcraft and things, they have jokes in them, but the setting is serious, whereas, I don't know, I feel like the whole plot and, and all the characters and, and everything's it's sort of not not like outrageously funny, but just a little bit silly and, and self-aware all through. Yeah. Also fits together really well, I think, in this case, because yeah. we, we played that just a couple of months ago. Mm. And... You know, the, the the game itself was was very serious, but then you had those very weird cutscenes that didn't really match anything what was going on in the game. So there, there was just a bit of a of a gap between those two parts. But in um, KKND, I think it all is on the same side. Hmm. Yeah, the whole game feels more coherent, and it definitely doesn't take itself seriously. So, yeah, that that makes it all more bearable. To be honest, that makes it all kind of yeah, just a good laugh. So that's good. Before we we dive further into the game, I want to address the voice message issue. Issue, indeed. Which is that we have not got any. Shame on you, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, if you're listening to this and, and you think, well, this is cool, I want to say something about those games, just record your thoughts and send them over to club at dosgameclub.com because, you know, we love getting these, we love playing them, you can be part of the show. So, you know, please, please do this. (laughs) Maybe we should really reach out over social media more regularly about voice messages. Yeah, I guess, I guess. We we never advertise them. No. But when we do, we usually get like two or three. So maybe we should just do that regularly. Yeah, we should. We should be more active, but... So should you. Exactly. So, you know, it would be nice if people sent them. But they didn't, so we don't have any right now. (laughs) You know, one big issue is that Bjorn is here, so he can send a voice message. (laughs) I can think of one quickly now if you want. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, let's, let's not. Um, so I, I, I quickly want to uh, set the, the scene of the game, like go over the premise and the story. Not that it's entirely uh, required for you to enjoy or play the game, but I don't know. I, did f- I, I do feel they've put some effort into this backstory. So uh, it's worth addressing. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but the original, I think, KKND website is still up. I'll put a link uh, along with this post. It's on melbournehouse.kknd2.com slash KKND. And yeah, it, it, I mean, it says copyright 1997. Yeah. <laughs> this, I, I'm pretty sure this is just the 97 web page they made for this game it almost looks a bit too good for 97 but okay yeah it does look good maybe they've tweaked it i don't know but uh, i haven't gone there yet I, I wonder if it's you know sometimes you're, you're googling articles 
and it's some web page that's had all their articles in their in their archive for ages. And it's just the style that's been updated. Is it a bit like that? I'm just no. I, I think you should click the link and check it out because it it just genuinely looks like a '97 web page to me. <laughs> so oh yeah, there it goes. Yeah. Oh yes. No, no, I can believe that's from '97. Yeah. So that's fun. And actually, the main content of this web page is describing the premise. So uh, I think this web page does a better job at explaining the game than the game does actually because well the game has this quick introduction cutscene at the start which really goes over it at a glance but yeah this web page explains it all in detail so um one more word about the website itself real quick i just checked the internet archive and in 2002 the website looked exactly the way it does now so yeah i don't think they changed it between 97 and 2002 either so no so this is yeah, this is the web page, which is kind of cool. I think the story goes that uh, it's set in the 21st century and things were going rather well. It talks about uh, solving environmental issues using nanobots and stuff, eating all the, the pollution away. And, and there was peace, actually. Uh, nuclear arms were taken down. So, you know, things were going really well. And they also talk about industrial production moving into space to avoid polluting the planet. So that seems like a clever thing. Maybe maybe we should do that. I don't know. And then it all went wrong in the year 2079 uh, when suddenly nuclear war broke out. Uh, they talk about warheads coming out from space onto the Earth. It doesn't explain why. It doesn't explain who did this. The game doesn't either, as far as I know. But the intro shows something else, right? The intro shows an airplane launching a missile. Yeah, but that's after this war. Oh, really? Yeah, I think this is what what went before. Like, this is what caused the apocalypse to happen. And then the intro cinematic is from after that. Hmm. Uh, because, well, that's also on this webpage, but what happens is that there's like a 60-year Dark Ages or something where a mutagenic virus spreads and, and people become weird mutants and uh, all the, the technology is destroyed and, you know, it's all thrown back to basically Stone Age times. But at the same time, a bunch of people hide in underground bunkers. So this is where the two factions of the game are created. So there's the... Evolved, which are the people who remain at the surface and they're all mutant and they're all caveman-y style, like really low tech and using animals. And so that's that's the evolved. And then the other ones, the ones that go down into the bunkers, they are the survivors and they have more high tech stuff. But yeah, they're down in the bunkers. And then then the story goes that in 2140 or to actually 2141, uh, they go back up to the surface because their supplies are running out. So, yeah, that, that's when the war breaks out. And I think the intro cinematic is from that, Florian. Oh, really? Because, you know, in the beginning of the cutscene, there is this cockroach which hides underground. Yeah. And then the explosion happens and then it comes back out and it's super mutated. So I thought it was before uh, going underground. Maybe they didn't really think this through. <laughs> that's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> 
in the late 90s, they didn't think through their story in video games. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Probably it happened quite often that an animator got like a one sentence, can you make this? Yeah. Without any context and all right, sure, yeah. I'll do that. Just, you know, mutants, post-apocalypse, do it. Make the scene. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, anyway, there's war. One thing I'll say about this website, the, the background, it's actually... If you only read that, you would not think it was a funny game. Mm -hmm. The way this is written sounds really serious. And then when you play the game, it's it's all just funny humor and, and silliness. But uh, yeah, you'd actually think it was a serious game based on the website. That's That's interesting. I think maybe the marketing people found it difficult to uh, include this humor aspect. I don't know, but yeah, it does seem really serious and it's it's not at all. I mean, it's all completely silly and all I I feel the mutant stuff especially is really just an excuse to have weird wax on their face. <laughs> the only thing that's actually mutated is like one eye like, or something. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm sure they were working on a budget. Yeah, of course, of course, but it feels like they were having fun with these costumes and stuff so who, who wouldn't oh yeah you can you can just tell with the actors that they that they're loving it they're just having the greatest day of their lives yeah. playing these roles for sure that's the premise um and those are the two sides the survivors and the evolved so i don't i don't think there's really a, a good versus evil situation although the evolved are maybe portrayed more as the bad guys i would say because they're all red and they're all aggressive and, and low-tech and I don't know. Yeah, I'd say the, the way they look on screen, you know, they're coded in the same, sort of like orcs in Warcraft and things like that. But when you watch, to me at least, when you watch the cutscenes, like I feel, I, I, I just, the survivors are all kind of just assholes. Yeah. <laughs> they're really just, they're not very sympathetic at all. Whereas the, the mutants, you know, this is their home. They've, they've been living here this whole time and surviving and, and suddenly these people show up out of bunkers and try to blow them up. It's yeah, you kind of feel yeah. sorry for the uh, mutants. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I had more fun playing as the evolved because it feels their cause is more righteous. Like, yeah, like you say, these people are just living here. And uh, all of a sudden they get invaded. So what's up with that? But uh, what were the survivors supposed to do if their resources are running out? Well... Just die quietly? Mm. I mean, maybe they could have tried negotiating something first. Yeah, that. But that wouldn't have made for a very interesting game, I think. Well, that's also the whole... I mean, this whole story is is just serving as a setup for the game. I mean, obviously... With the, didn't they also say like most people are dead by uh, at this time? Like billions of people have died over the course of the century. So, I mean, surely if like hundred people crawl out of a bunker, that doesn't mean world war. It just means go find a place to live for yourself. But mm. yeah, that wouldn't make a very good game, would it? <laughs> if we look at the gameplay. It's, I would say, classic RTS gameplay. Like if you've played Command and Conquer, then you would get into this very quickly. Yeah, is there even one thing in the game that is really new uh, compared to um, CNC? Uh, Machine gun crabs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the specific units and buildings are obviously unique. There, there's this leveling up system using experience, promoting guys to veterancy ranks their health bar gets a colored border around it first it's gray and then it's blue and then it's red 
Hmm. So that's... I don't know if that's in Command & Conquer, but that's a thing. Also, the units are self-healing once they level up. So that's maybe novel. Uh, that's that's it, maybe. You can, in a few of the levels in this one, you can like find this robot or like, I don't know what they call them, mechs or something um, to to join you. Um, is that, was that in Co- Command & Conquer or is that, uh, is that new for KK&D? I think Warcraft 2 had neutral units, right? Um, yeah, neutral. Yeah. But but these are like um, you can't build these at all. Uh, they're just they're they're completely uh, separate units. These these robots, and either side can pick them up. But nobody, I don't think, has an ability to build them individually. Okay, that's 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 definitely interesting. Um, another thing is the I don't know if you guys played with this, but there's this weird. Uh, your buildings have these blocks underneath the health bars. I think it's up to five blocks. And it has to do with the saboteur and the vandal unit, Um, which is a bit maybe like the spy or the engineer, what it's it's called from other games. But basically, I think the idea is that you can build this saboteur or vandal unit to take over enemy buildings although you don't actually take them over you destroy them but yeah the number of blocks says something about how many guys you have to send in so if like if there are two blocks then you have to send in three guys because then the third guy will actually take it out so that's maybe a sort of a novelty to this game although you can also completely ignore this (laughs) and not and not use it that's what I did anyway. I mostly just went in with attacking units and destroying buildings, which just seem, seems to me like a lot easier. But yeah. <laughs> well, it can take a while to take out a building the regular way. And then when, when you're playing against the AI, then just 20 seconds later, it will have rebuilt the building in the exact same spot again. Hmm. Oh, it's the worst, isn't it? <laughs> just blew <laughs> <move> that up. <laughs> Maybe the AI is actually something to distinguish this game. I've read a lot of people saying the the AI is actually pretty good and and is what sets this game apart from its contemporaries. So I don't know if that's maybe in maybe in skirmish mode or in, in chaos mode what it's called in the extreme edition. But again in the single player campaign I thought the AI was was pretty dumb. Yeah. yeah. Um they do run away, which is maybe sort of unique. Like if if an enemy um, garrison is 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 coming at you and you've killed like three quarters of them, the the remaining folks w- might run away. So that seems like sort of half clever, but yeah, I think they. I don't know if they're smart per se, but they just it feels like they act a bit differently than you'd expect in other RTSs. They'll attack from all sorts of different directions, and just the sort of way they move just feels a little bit little bit unique, a little bit mm-hmm. um, fresh. Yeah, it's not the dumbest I, uh, AI for sure, but... I, I, I don't know. When, when I played it, I always had the impression that in the single-player campaign, the enemy units would just follow rail tracks and just, yeah, I don't know. It felt, felt like it was just following a preset plan. The same thing with rebuilding the buildings and all of that, and then... The unit AI is is the worst. Like there can be an enemy shooting at you at your unit, and your unit will not do anything. It will just sit there and <laughs> look look a bit sad. Mm. And 
get killed. Yeah, you have to be kind of on top of it. Also, as ever in these games, the pathfinding is sometimes a problem. Oof. Like when there's a tree in the middle of a of a field, <laughs> like one guy will go around it and the other guy will just traverse half the map. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But yeah. I don't recall what was it like in Command and Conquer when you had multiple units selected of different speeds. Did they stick together? I think they did later in, in later games, but at least in KKND I found it really annoying that when you have like a motorized unit and some infantry and you give them a move order, they will just um, expand out across half the map. Mm. And then your your weakly armored fast vehicles will arrive at the enemy, get destroyed, and then the infantry will arrive one after the other. <laughs> just mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's exactly the same in Command and Conquer, to be honest. Okay. I, I remember in, in StarCraft, at least, what it was different. So, mm. What is nice, and I think this is where you can tell this is a slightly later game, is that it has this build queue where you can, you can just select a whole bunch of units and it will build them as you gather resources. Command and Conquer did that, right? I don't remember, to be honest, but uh, this was definitely a thing in the first generation of RTSs where you had to do everything manually. Yeah. So, I don't know. This felt nice to me. I'm pretty sure that in at least Red Alert, you had um, like a queue. You mm. have the same exact same sidebar, in fact, as in KKND, and you could just <laughs> click the same unit um, picture five times and it would queue up five of them. Yeah. What is less nice is the group... And like the u- unit management, which is a big part of this game, like <laughs> you can make groups with control, uh, like control and the numbers. So control one and then you make group one, which you can recall. So that's good. But I don't know if I just missed this, but I could not figure out how to add units to an existing group, for example. Yeah, or select all units of the same kind that are on screen or something that other games have. Yeah. Like in Warcraft, you can just, or in Warcraft 2 at least, you can just double click on a unit type and we'll just get all the same Mm -hmm. units together. Yeah. And also no waypoints as far as I can tell, like from a production building, you can in, in red alert, at least you can tell them uh, like go here. And so yeah, you, you gather all your tanks at one spot, but I don't know if this game has that. I couldn't figure it out anyway. Yeah. I didn't find ready points either. Yeah. I couldn't find anything like that either. Yeah. So this is what makes these games slightly fussy, but. Eh. <laughs> what is kind of cool is that um, the two sides we talked about, the survivors and uh, Evolve, they are not exactly um, symmetrical, are they? Close, close. but Yeah, they're a little bit, but not exactly. So, I mean, I, I feel that in some games, Warcraft comes, comes to mind, it's just really a skin like it's the same unit but it's it just looks differently but yeah in in warcraft i think only the higher level units yeah are slightly different yeah but this in this game i feel all the units are slightly different so i mean there are definitely types like there's infantry types and and vehicle types and stuff but i feel all the units are just unique like a rifleman from the survivors is not exactly the same as a berserker from the evolved or uh yeah they've got they've all got uh, <laughs> confession time i had to sort of cheat a bit because the game was a bit hard for me <laughs> that involved uh changing the stats of all the units and yeah they've all got slightly different st- stats like um on the evolved it might have a bit more health but a little bit less damage or vice versa 
Yeah. So yeah, that, that, they've got a, a comparable unit on each side, but that, yeah, they'll be slightly better at one thing and slightly worse at another. That is interesting that you mentioned this. This game is not the easiest RTS I've ever played, for sure. I think it's a lot more difficult than Warcraft and Command & Conquer. So maybe that's also why people say that AI is good, because it's just more of a challenge. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, I never finished um, the Survivors campaign because there was one mission um, later where you have to go around and destroy everything and I never managed to because I never had the units left in the end. Yeah, but even early on, I mean, it's not like you're blazing through all of the missions. You have to retry some. So mm. I do feel it's a good challenge. There's a text file with all the all the, um, all the unit stats and things in it. And I thought that's all you had to change. Um turns out you actually need like a patcher program to do it properly. Hmm. So I went in and I changed that thing and I made all my units a lot easier. And then I went in and I started winning levels that I wasn't winning before going, oh, this is great, <laughs> until I realized I hadn't actually changed anything at all. I just <laughs> I just gave myself a huge boost of confidence and that was obviously enough to help me beat some levels. Oh, that's great. Placebo effect at work. Yeah, doing it again weirdly helps in a lot of other mm. cases, but... Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I think we should talk maybe a little bit about the video briefings because they are sort of the star of the show to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, they are not full screen like they are in some other games, but they do look pretty good. It's like a window uh, in the top left where someone is talking to you. It's, it's very similar in style to other games where, you know, you get mission briefings from some commander, some general, I don't know. But but there's all these weird, funny nonsense around it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there was one that I, that I um, found particularly funny um, in one of the survivor missions. Um, your general or whatever tells you uh, we have to find the um, I think the guy we have to to rescue, and he says we but we couldn't find his position by triangulating, so we quadrilaterated pentagonal. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? That was my favorite as well. I like that one. That's perfect. But it also, I mean, it's if you if you just glance over the text that that's on the right, it looks like I don't know console output from some program, but if you actually start reading, I mean. It, during the Evolved campaign, I remember sometimes it mentioned the X-Files. And, you know, it's just complete nonsense. And it's kind of funny. So that is good. And it shows, that, like, how intentionally lighthearted and funny this game is. Even if you didn't get it from the videos, you, you'll get it from the text. It's all just techno babble and nonsense. And they're in on it. So that's good. I'm not exactly sure what else to talk about like gameplay-wise, because it's such a standard RTS. There's no overall map, which I found a little bit... Well, it's not the worst. I, I, it's not a big deal or anything, but it's just the missions flow into each other. Oh, yeah. But, but also inside the missions, is there even um, is there even a mini-map? Uh, yeah, you can build a radar thing, right? Okay, so you can do that later, probably. But at least when, when you're starting a mission and you don't have the mini-map, I got lost a few times. I couldn't find my... Um, my, my my units again. So I was just scrolling around the black areas of the screen and had no indication mm. as to where I'm scrolling. So uh, I had to restart one mission twice because I just lost focus of my people. I'm looking at some of the buildings. Maybe they, I don't actually remember. It's been a while ago also since we played this. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely not a minimap in the early 
levels. Is there one later on, Bjorn? Um, I didn't get one. Someone on the forum said you can, that you can build a building or something that'll give you a mini map. I never, I never got that. Um, mm. There are a few features I just I didn't figure out until later things that would have made the game easier or or much better to play that I actually didn't figure out until I'd I'd finished. So I, th- I think there's a few things that aren't quite as well documented as as they they should be. Hmm. The mini map might, might be one of them. All right. There is this standard black fog of war. So so you do have to kind of explore the map and scroll around to keep everything in check. Uh, although the game runs in Super VGA, so it's not the worst area that, that's covered on your screen. I don't know. It didn't feel overly cramped to me. No, and the, new, the units are also pretty small as well. They're not uh, yeah. big, chunky ones. Yeah, it's also very similar in, in size to Command & Conquer, right? Yeah. So it looks like very much like Command & Conquer, just with a bit more detail. Pretty much. Uh, maybe we should just talk a little bit about the people behind this game. We talked a little bit about the fact that it's from Melbourne. The story kind of starts in 1977 when two people, Naomi Beeson and her husband, Alfred Milgram, founded a publisher. And this publisher had offices in both Melbourne, Australia and London, England. And they called themselves Melbourne House. So that's that's where this sort of started. Although they were... Well, this was the 70s and they were just a book publisher mostly, although they did cover computer books. So that already got them like in the in the software direction. But then what happened in 1980 is that they started a software studio called Beam Software, which uh, Beam is a, what do, you, what do you call this? A contraction of the names. It's, it's Bees and Alfred Mingram. So it's B-E-A-M. So it's Beam Software. And yeah, they started out in Melbourne making software that was going to be published through Melbourne House. So that was the setup. And they had some early success because in 1982, they made The Hobbit Text Adventure. I think they acquired a, a real license for this. I mean, it's just called The Hobbit outright, which... I played that. Really? Was it any good? If it's the... Um, it- different <laughs> if you're a fan of the book it's uh, they had to change or they had to be a bit creative with it in order to make it into a game hmm. um it's on the commodore if it's the one i'm thinking of it's on the commodore 64 and yeah there's some uh, in- <laughs> interesting things that you have to do in that such as pick up pick up bard at the end of no sorry i'm <laughs> getting a bit off track here but yeah that's a it's a weird game all right. It's a text adventure, right? It's a... Uh... Yeah, it, with, with a little bit of graphics as well. So they'll have pictures of the of the room you're in. Um, huh. And, and uh, it's sort of interesting because some of the different characters move around the map, I guess, while you're not... Uh, yeah, while you're going between screens and... That- yeah. Yeah, I read the game was really notable for the fact that um, things just happened in the game, even if you weren't typing, which was sort of novel for text adventures. Yeah, especially uh, oh, 1987, I suppose that's not too bad then. Yeah. Um, no, the game is from 82, actually. 
Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. Yep, eighty-two. Yeah, so that's still fairly early. So that's really early. I think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It did get more versions over the years. So I mean, it was released on a lot of platforms, and I don't think they were released on everything at once. But definitely also the Commodore sixty-four at one point, and even the IBM PC. So we could technically cover this game. Uh, <laughs> seems interesting. There's For September. <laughs> There are several uh, Lord of the Rings Hobbit games made over the years. Um, Beam also made more. They made uh, uh, also Lord of the Rings games in 85, 87, and 89. So anyway, this was uh, an early big hit for them because it sold more than a million copies, which is honestly insane for 82. I mean, games like a decade later would be considered a hit if they sold 100,000 copies. So... Yeah, selling a million copies this early when so few people had computers, that was really something. Another game they made early on was The Way of the Exploding Fist, which I believe is from 85, something like that anyway. And if you look up screenshots of this game, then you can see that this is basically Street Fighter. So, but this obviously is a lot older than Street Fighter, so this is... Yeah, kind of inspired the whole one-on-one fighting genre. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of the right games, name. It is a great name. The Way of the Exploding Fist. Released for lots of home computers in 85. Also the Commodore, ZX Spectrum, BBC Micro, Acorn, like all the all the systems. But yeah, I think later later fighting games just have a lot to thank this game for. You know, stuff like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. And although that type of game was yeah they laid some groundwork i think um what happened later is that in 87 they sold the melbourne house publishing company so all that remained now was beam software and they uh, kept operating independently just making software on their own and publishing it through various other publishers and i think they they got pretty successful in this period, especially later in the 90s. They acquired a a Nintendo license and made a whole bunch of NES and SNES games, uh, but also still PC games. So they were doing all right for a while. Shadowrun is one of their more notable games on the Super Nintendo 1993, which is a sort of a spiritual successor to Nightshade, which they made earlier for for the NES. And I don't know if you remember this, but when we did the Lost Vikings episode, we talked a little bit about how the sequel, Lost Vikings 2, it looks very different on the PC and the PlayStation and the Saturn compared to the Super Nintendo. And that's because the Super Nintendo version was done by Blizzard, but all the other ports were done by Beam Software in Melbourne. So, yeah, that's it all, it all ties in now. So <laughs> that's fun. Also funny that they they worked yeah. together with Blizzard at one point, but then made an RTS that looks like um, the um, competition of Blizzard. Yeah, so. yeah. Ah, well. And funnily enough, in 97, when this game was made, KKND, they also relaunched the Melbourne House publishing brand. So actually, KKND is the first game again to be published through Melbourne House after it had not existed for a decade. I'm I'm slightly con- confused by this because the game does open with the Melbourne House screen, right? But I also saw the game was published by Electronic Arts, so I'm not sure 
I'm not sure what happened there. Maybe Electronic Arts helped with international publishing or something, or I, I just don't know. But it does seem EA was involved in some way. But yeah. Mobile Games doesn't list EA. Huh. Maybe only later then or something. I just don't know. Anyway, 97, they made KKND by. I looked at some of the credits on this game because by this time they were sort of a pretty serious software studio. It's not the biggest team in the world, but it's it's certainly not a small. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a decent enough team. Uh there's like six people programming and different artists, you know, a sprite artist, background artist. A structure artist, cinema artists. Um, obviously, they had to do all these uh, videos for the for the cutscenes. So, yeah, this was a decent production. And if you click on the names of these people, you you can see that they mostly are game developer veterans, and they went on to work on lots of other games. Also, I guess from the Australian game dev scene did you see that that naomi milgram who co-founded beam software became later one of the richest women in australia ah and well. she apparently she's doing lots of philanthropy stuff like um investing in in culture science education arts very cool okay well it's all thanks to cake and i'm sure yeah, well, Beam Software later was also renamed, right? So, yeah, to Chrome Studios, also another CH that was, or another C that was replaced with a K. So, mm-hmm. they seem to like that stuff. It also says here on Moby Games that the publisher of this game was Alfred Milgram, her husband. So, I don't know if if, if he was still her husband because I think at one point she remarried, but yeah, maybe not. Maybe this was just the same guy still. Uh, but you're right, Florian. Um, later, they they changed hands a few times. Um, it started in 1999 when they were acquired by Infogrames. And I'm not sure what the history was on this again, but wasn't Atari involved at one point? Like, wasn't Infogrames then bought by Atari or the other way around? Or I don't know. I think Atari became Infogrames or whatever. Anyway, then uh, in 2006, they were sold again uh, to Chrome Studios. And yeah, by this time, it all just kind of fell apart. So eventually the studio was closed in 2010, sadly. I don't know what some of the later games they made like after this. They made mostly console games, I think. PlayStation games. They made uh, some Star Wars games, some Hellboy games. They made a bunch of racing games as well. I don't know. I think they were a little bit all over the place. One thing I want to point out real quick is that I recently played uh, Flight of the Amazon Queen by uh, John Passfield, among other people, who is also Australian. And he later worked on Barbie Beach Vacation, which is another game published by Chrome Studios. <laughs> Barbie Beach Vacation. So Barbie Beach Vacation. What all a legacy. Together. KKND <laughs> and Barbie Beach Vacation. There you go. <laughs> is that a DOS game? Can we do that one? Sadly not. No, sadly, this is a Windows game from 2001. An action adventure. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, you know, I genuinely think this is not the worst game in the world, to be honest. Because, uh, well, 
It says here on Wikipedia, the game was noted for including wonderful and pleasant gaming aspects. Hmm. So, you know, for a Barbie game, I think this is pretty That's good. true. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So a long history, which uh, sadly has come to an end now. But yeah, the, the people who worked on this game are mostly Australian game developer veterans who went to have long careers. Um, some before this, but mostly after KKND. So that's it. Um, what's next? What's next, Florian? Uh, well, what's, what's next? Usually we talk about graphics and audio at that point. Yeah, we kind of mentioned already that it's Super VGA, which I think is the main selling point. They mentioned it on all the advertisements that I saw, like, oh yeah, this is Super VGA. Yeah, well, it was all Super VGA by that time. Mm -hmm. Or most, most stuff was. So mm -hmm. not really a big selling point, but if you didn't have it, that was probably a big minus. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I don't think the 3D, uh, the, the 3D hype was definitely happening in 97, but... I don't think it quite reached the RTS genre yet. So we talked about that earlier with um, Total Annihilation and Earth 2140, which came mm. out around the same time. Yeah, a little later, I think. But yeah, yeah, there was definitely a push for making everything 3D, including RTS games. Is this one, the graphics look to me, um, are they pre rendered like. Uh, like the units and things? They kind of look like a pre rendered sort of 3D. Maybe that's. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah, that's typically the way. Just make them into 2D sprites, but they're designed as 3D things, I think. Or possibly models, but I don't think that would be the way to go for this. No, that, that, that's all, all sprites, I think. And you can also see yeah. like the jaggies around um, the outsides. Which is the yeah. big difference to um, hand pixeled art, or even even StarCraft a year later did it a lot better. So that's the biggest um, problem I have with the graphics is that the um, sprites don't really blend in very well with the background. Mm. They always stick out a bit. Yeah, it's not a bad look, but it's it's pretty gen generic to me. It's all just yeah, the blue guys and the red guys, and I don't know doesn't really inspire a lot of eh, feelings. The, the Evolved have some interesting units, but yeah, a lot of them just look like, oh, here's a tank, here's another type of tank, here's a slightly different <laughs> tank, and here's a, yeah. here's a car with some extra wheels. A, a Jeep, yeah. Uh, I always find it hard, and in, in if there's too many units in these RTSs, I find it hard to tell, tell them apart, tell what... Mm -hmm. Each one's good at and bad at and know what to build and how many to build and what to use them for. I get mm, Yeah. It worked a bit better with the Evolve, right? Because the units look very distinct. So you have mm, this one exactly. weird scorpion that shoots uh, acid or something. That's that's a weird one. Yep. <laughs> I, I typically just build everything I can and clump them all together into giant army and just... Um, but again, the FMVs are sort of the star of the show, I feel, in terms of graphics. Um, I was impressed by how good the videos look, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think we should exclude the intro a bit because that's just entirely pre-rendered and doesn't really fit the style of the um, mission briefing FMV. Yeah, it's also weirdly interlaced, like heavily interlaced. The, none of the later videos are. They are in a tiny window, but they're not. Yeah, so they, that's, that's why they don't need interlacing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
they look just good quality to me, um, which is half impressive because uh, video codecs were not as advanced by then as they were later. So, you know, this was not MPEG-4 or anything. Try playing back MPEG-4 on a Pentium one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They probably take a, up a lot of space on the disk. I haven't, I haven't looked at that, but they just probably not very compressed so the computer can just run them real mm -hmm. time yeah but yeah it does look good well shot as well good lighting good good set well, i mean and you don't see much of the set no it's just a guy in front of a green screen isn't it yeah or maybe they put up some props there's a little bit of like yeah props and things uh, yeah just little pipes and things in the background <laughs> just you know helps us set the scene i think it didn't look like green screen uh, I'm not sure if they would have no. gotten that right in that year with the budget they had. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe just some real props were easier back then. Yeah. Um, in terms of audio, it's sort of the same, isn't it? Like, it's it's not bad. It's all right. It's nothing revolutionary either. It's it's fine. Yeah. I think the music is, is, is quite nice to listen to. Yeah. Similar in style to other games of the genre, as so many things are in this game. There's probably not enough tracks. Um, I feel it felt like was there only? I think there was only one track for the evolved. There might have been two for the survivors. I sort of, or am I? Or did they just sound so similar? I thought it was it. Yeah, it all. It, it's this typical '90s beats with guitars, like all right, cool music, but uh, yeah, it didn't really stand out to me. Um, I'm sure there's also just the issue of space on the disc where they had to fit all the the the, the videos and the voices. And yeah, I, I can imagine they were, you know, trying their best to mash it all together. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's not outstandingly good. It's just, it's there. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't. No, yeah. it's fine. It's this typical 90s school style that, yeah, it works. Let's talk about the reviews a little bit. Uh, and talk about the versions later because I mean that is essentially what I got from the reviews as well like what we're saying is that it's fine but it's nothing revolutionary yeah that's pretty much what people were saying mm -hmm. I think though it's got got surprisingly favorable reviews um considering that many pointed out the lack of originality in the game hmm. so there are some some in the um high 80s and and i think there's even one 90 percent review on moby games if i remember correctly so it's, it's got got some decent reviews maybe it's because the game is kind of well made i mean it runs all right and there's nothing really jarring or i mean it looks fine it plays fine it's an okay game i think too it's it's Pretty impressive for an Australian game. There's not <laughs> impressive for an Australian game. Well, yeah, I, as an Australian, I feel like I can, I can say this. There's not, there's not a lot of developers in Australia. It's not such a huge hub of video game development. We probably don't get the budget or the um, or the sort of uh, uh, attention that that American games get. And I think I think there's sort of uh, on a bit of a back foot. And you know, the ability to make something that's pretty close to you know triple a command and conquer i think uh the fact that a little old australian publisher could uh developer could do that i think that was uh that's pretty good yeah yeah for sure it's it's a solid game but 
I'm, I'm looking at a, a review by PC Zone here, which was scanned in by DOS Game Club member Richard, which he always puts on the forums. And they basically, they give the game an 85 score, which, which seems really de- decent and, and, you know, high up there. But then half the review, or even more, maybe like three quarters of the review, they compare it to Command & Conquer. And each time say, yeah, Command & Conquer did this and did it better. And in the cases where Command & Conquer did not do it better, well, Red Alert did it better. So, <laughs> eh. And... That's what they they end up saying. Um, if you finished Red Alert and want to keep that wrist action up, then up to speed, then give KKND a go. But if you're only going to buy one Command and Conquer clone this year, make it Red Alert. So it's, uh, eh. it's, it's fair, I think. Yeah, giving it an eighty-five seems kind of high, though for for this conclusion, uh, especially in that era. What is nice, though, is that they list the price of the game here as £30, which I'm not sure what the English pound was doing at the time. I'm sure it was higher than it is relatively now. Uh, But I don't know, £30 sounds maybe like a slightly budget title. Would be about £2 today. I mean, then one one pound in ninety seven is two today. Oh, pounds. I thought you meant thirty pounds no, is no, two so pounds. It's, it's about sixty <laughs> sixty euros now. Oh, okay. Right. Well, in that case, it's not really a budget title, is it? So, hmm. All right. Any other interesting reviews? Any German ones? I did, didn't read the German ones, but uh, at least one um, from the lower end of the ratings, um, where they say. Um, from, but this one's from PC Player from before the game was actually released. So I assume this was a preview or a demo that they checked out. They say the the artist is pretty nice. The scenario is very is um, pleasantly crazy. They also say the not very complex videos are not a problem for them. Hmm. But sadly, the game loses its excitement really quickly as soon as you have seen all the battle units. Hmm. Yeah. While Red Alert is, in, in Red Alert, it's super important how different weapon kinds work together. In KKND, it's usually enough to just use the best units you have. Hmm. So. Which, yeah. I'm, I'm reading a, a Dutch review here from uh, March 97, Gameplay Magazine. Uh, and they said basically the same thing. They gave it 84 and they said... They had a lot of fun with KKND, but it didn't really bring anything new. But they say in multiplayer, it really <laughs> excels and it's really good. So they say if you want to just play this as a LAN game, then KKND is a must. Huh, so I did so, it right. Yeah, that's good. Um, on the other hand, Computer Gaming World, they were really not so favorable. They only gave the game a 50% score. And they said, while Cake Indie is a good effort, there weren't enough moments during the game when I felt I was playing anything new. Most of the time it felt like an old Westwood classic with graphics overlay, kind of like the old Simpsons overlay for <laughs> Doom. <laughs> I think, honestly, that, that's a fair review. Yeah. Um, I think 50 is maybe a bit harsh. Um, yeah. But the words, they, they are true. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird how the the 80s reviews and the 50s reviews kind of say the same thing mm-hmm. they just weigh their their facts differently but 
Yeah. Maybe it's fun to look at some of the versions that were released over the years. There are not a whole lot, but there are some. Uh, the original was released in March 97, just the KKD game for, for DOS and I think also for Windows. I'm not entirely sure if it's just maybe the DOS executable, executable running in Windows, but I don't know. Um, but anyway, in the same year, but a few months later, in October, they released the KKD Extreme expansion. So that seems really quick. <laughs> to come up with uh, another release. Oh, but it's a, that's that's a kind of common theme we've seen in a couple of games recently. Yeah, it just happened in the 90s. They were just... I think what happened is they were really, you know, working on the game, getting it out there, and then once it was out, then what do you do? So, you know, maybe, maybe take a day off and then just continue making stuff. <laughs> So anyway, uh, they made a, an expansion. It's 20 new missions. Uh, it's a new multiplayer mode. Um, it's called Chaos Mode, but it's just skirmish mode, really. Um, so multiplayer maps, it's, yeah, it's just more stuff. And what I found vaguely interesting is that apparently the Extreme Edition is Windows only. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what... The, 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 the website I found that talked about this, they talked about it being a 32-bit executable and therefore not running in DOS, but uh, that's not entirely true, is it? That doesn't make a lot of sense because there definitely are 32-bit programs in DOS. Um, I mean, they need a 16-bit launcher, but other than that... Well, if you launch this game, KKND, in DOS, it starts with the DOS 4G Wii 32 thing. Yeah, that's that's definitely a DOS extender for 32-bit. Yeah, so... I don't know. But anyway, um, there is a KKND Special Edition. So that's different from the Extreme Edition. But uh, apparently this Special Edition is the Extreme content in a DOS executable. So I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But a year later in 98, they released the sequel, KKND 2 Crossfire. That was not a DOS game. That was released on Windows and PlayStation. Again, with a K, Crossfire with a K. Yes, all Ks. Yes, definitely. That's cool. Uh, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah, and that's kind of the end of the series. Currently, there's a, an open source remake in the works. They've been going for a while. You can find it on kknd-game.com. It's called Open Crush with a K. And it's based on the OpenRA engine, which is Open Red Alert. Huh. Shows shows the similarity, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's probably the way to play it on modern systems. I think it requires the original assets. So you do need to buy it or get them from your original disk or whatever. And, yeah, then you can throw them into this open source engine and run it on modern systems. So that's said, it runs just fine in DOSBox. So it just it runs just fine. Except for IPX multiplayer. Maybe that's one <laughs> of the good things you'd get with the um open crush engine. Honestly, that would be amazing if they focused on the multiplayer and made that work over modern TCP IP internet connections. That would be great. So yeah, that's definitely a reason yeah. to uh to look at this. But if you just want to look at the original game, 
I don't know. I think it's just on Steam and GOG, isn't it? Yeah, it's all the Extreme Edition, though. Right, but that's... I think the original is not there. No, but that's fine. I mean, it, the, the Extreme includes the original, so yeah, that's cool. But then you can't run it in, in DOSBox, right? So. Oh, maybe... No, that's just, when you have to go and find <laughs> find an ISO like I do. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, okay, fair enough. That said, though, if you're into collecting big box, big box games, then this one is actually rather easy and cheap to have. So oh. I got mine for, I think, 18 euros, and it's in great shape. So they are, there are always a few boxes around on eBay, and they are usually not selling for very high price. Okay, that's nice. And it's, it's a beautiful box. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got on this game. I don't know if anyone has something to add that we missed or didn't mention. Maybe it's just conclusion time. Mm -hmm. Although I think we already made kind of clear what the conclusion is, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you're done with all the other um, RTSs that this is built or based on and you still need more, then try out KKND. Or even for, for the FMV, it's probably worth yeah. trying out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe cheat yeah. the way that Bjorn did, because <laughs> missions can get a bit lengthy if you don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, there are only 15 missions, I believe, on each side. So it's it's quite doable if you want to put in the time to replay some of them. But yeah. Yeah, I would say the FMVs are, are the, the highlight of this game for sure. So... You do want to check them out. If anything, just look them up on YouTube and just watch it. <laughs> yeah, watch a long play. <laughs> yeah. The advantage of that is because there's th really three things going on at one time in the cutscenes, it's hard to sort of listen to the guy and read the funny comments on the side and have a look at the little graphics at the bottom as well. Um, and on YouTube, you can kind of just go back and forth. And hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. What, what would you say... What would you rate it, Bjorn? We're giving out ratings now. A, A, A for Australia. <laughs> no, I'm just making it up as I go along. Oh, I, I think I'm obliged to give it a 10 out of 10 and it's an Australian. <laughs> uh, no, look, um, I, think it's, I think it's a good, a, a decent game. And as you said, if you're into RTSs and you just want, want more of that, um, but just in a in a Mad Max kind of setting and some fun cutscenes. Yeah, it's worth it's worth having a go. It's 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 not like it's not like some of these really old games where you have to be into old vintage games uh, to be able to get any enjoyment out of it, but um yeah, so mm -hmm. so worth having a look at. Yeah. It's definitely pretty accessible. Like you don't have to work a different uh, a weird difficult UI or anything, or know a lot of keyboard shortcuts. It's just <laughs> because the sheep keyboard shortcuts are all missing. So. Yeah, okay, but still, I mean, there's just, you know, it's easy to jump in and play a few levels and look at the funny videos. So that's cool. That's cool. All right. So that's that's KKND. We always do this shout out section at the end, uh, but actually, we've sort of run out of shout outs, haven't we, Florian? Yeah. We don't really know what to advertise, except you found something that you think is worth. Well, there's something I just monitored this past month, which I want to mention. But I, I think we should ask people to uh, contribute things to shout out. Yeah. So if you think there's like a creator who 
ideally doesn't fit into the male white um, hetero guy narrative, then send us a link so we can put them in our episode and give them a shout out to put some more listeners or viewers into their their, their queue. Yeah, I think what it's mainly about is that these people are just... We just want to shout out people that deserve it, you know? They're doing good work. They don't have a lot of followers and, and listeners or whatever. And, you know, we we kind of want to nudge them and, and, you know, put them on a pedestal and say, look. As, as much as our 1,000 listener nudge will do, but... Yeah, but still, so, you know? Ideally, um, the, the people you recommend have fewer than 1,000 listeners or viewers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the thing I've been monitoring a bit this past month is that uh, on, on itch.io, which is this like alternative game store, uh, they have a lot of indie games, a lot of small games. It's like Steam, but it's more indie, I, I think. Um, they do a lot of game jams as well. And they sometimes run these bundles, like sometimes pretty massive bundles. And one bundle they've been running past month is the Queer Games Bundle 2022, which has, I think, 500 games, like, yeah, pretty interesting titles, pretty out there, avant-garde stuff. And I just like seeing, you know, what's made outside of the mainstream in games. So this is something I'm I'm interested in. And what I want to shout out is that uh, Caroline Delbert is a um, journalist who has been interviewing people who have contributed games to this bundle. So she's done a lot of interviews over the past month. I, I think like over 60 or 70 interviews with the creators of these games and talking about you know what's what makes them tick and what goes into these into this stuff. So they're all up on Medium. I'll, I'll link to the post. It's it's medium.com/slash/cdelbert. Oh, actually, it's at cdelbert. Um, but yeah, this is just a fun read for me. You know, reading interviews with game developers and then like slightly outside of the main, like the fringes of game design. That's interesting stuff is happening there i feel so yeah that's that's my shout out very good thank you <laughs> this is not retro or anything but still you know all right uh i think we should end with our club section florian yeah the usual stuff so um june is over already so last month we did play little big adventure one of your favorites and mm. that will be the next episode mm -hmm. send us voice messages regarding that game please yes as soon as you hear this grab your microphone or your phone or whatever and yeah send us two minutes or whatever you have mm -hmm. to say about the game for sure right um then Right now, in July, we're playing a very interesting game, The Last Express, one that I've always wanted to try, and now I finally have, have a good reason to do so. Kind of a narrative, adventure, kind, Agatha Christie-style thing going on. Mm -hmm. For sure. With with time shift and, and reversing time and stuff like that to find out what's going on. Very interesting. It's uh, about Orient Express, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's murder on the Orient Express. The last, the last um, Orient Express before the start of World War One, I think. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, it's got this cool visual style with rotoscoped acting. Um, yeah, it looks it's, essentially like like a seventies Disney movie, <laughs> <laughs> just better. <laughs>
then in August, we are going to play Eye of the Beholder. Oh, yes, you're right. I messed up the document. Yes, uh, <laughs> August was missing. I, I just I looked at it and thought, well, something doesn't look quite right here. Yes. But <laughs> no, August is so, cancelled this year. Yes. <laughs> We need the time to recover from our delays. Um, yeah, I have to be older. I don't actually know a lot about the game, so I can't really say anything yet. I think it's classic dungeon crawling. Yeah, we've, we've never had any of those, so that's, no. that's, a, that's a good novelty for us. Yeah, it's a huge genre. And then in September, there's another one that's also a novelty genre, I think. It's Sim Ant. Yeah, we only decided that recently, didn't we? Yeah. So where you have your little ant colony, and I'm not really sure what you can do. Um, it's one of the many Maxis sim... Sim sim thing, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what that is all about. Yeah. All right. So if you're into this DOS gaming stuff, then you can join us over on dosgameclub.com. Uh, we have forums where we discuss all the games. You can suggest a game. There's also um, a IRC chat room, which you can access from our website. You can also join directly using IRC. We're uh, channel DOS Game Club on Afternet. We're also on uh, Twitter, where we're called DOS Game Club. And recently, we've started running our own Mastodon instance, which can be found over at dosgame.club. And our yeah, our podcast can be found at DOS Game Club at dosgame.club. <laughs> great. <laughs> a great name. You, you pronounced it without any mistakes. Yeah. But yeah, if you... Um, the, 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 our instance is not open to the public, but uh, all Game Club members are encouraged to join if they want to. Just drop us an email or anything and we'll gladly send you an invite and... and Welcome you onto the server. Mem member means you're a listener or you're, you're a fan of the show. <laughs> yeah, anything goes. So, you know, it's all friends of the show are welcome on our instance. And yeah, that's that's what it is. And last but not least, if you're listening to this in a podcasting app, then maybe uh, leave a review or a rating that really helps us out to get the show uh, promoted to other people and, you know, spread the word. So that's good. Yep. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, thanks. Thanks for being here. Short one. Yeah, sort of short, but you know, what, what do you have to say about the game? That's definitely, that's basically another game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for, for being here, Bjorn. And, uh, oh, see you. See you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. See ya. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.